Hi, I'm Chris. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Hi, I'm Rhea. Hi, I'm Mitzi. Hi, I'm Chris. Hi, I'm Art. And this is Virtual Hallway, the podcast where we talk about teaching online. This week, we'll be discussing discussions in Canvas, the good, the bad, the inexplicable. One of the biggest things we lost with the move online was the traditional class-wide or small group discussion. So Crates would drink hemlock again if he knew. However, these interactions are still possible in an online setting using Canvas's discussions feature. Do we use it? Do we use it well? Could it be better? Could it ever be as good as in person? Let's talk about it. So what have our experiences been like so far? I'm just going to say that I've had both good and bad experiences with discussions. I'm starting to get the hang of it, but I definitely want to do more to improve the student's experience. What are you guys feeling? So I have at times felt I've been a little light on the replying to each other within the discussion board. Um, so having students post and then, you know, requiring them to reply to um, their fellow classmates, that's something that I want to include more of, and especially since it's good online teaching practices, and it can help mimic that in-class experience of discussion that we're missing. Um, I wanted to share one discussion post that I thought worked really well. And um, I had the students specifically ask a question of their fellow classmates to then answer. So I told them they have to write an open-ended question about the reading for that, you know, for that assignment. And then I gave them some little instructions on what I mean by an open-ended question, right? Usually starts um, with a, like a, a lead-in, a, a how or what, and, um, and some kind of basic guidelines of that. And then they, so they had, that's the first thing they had to post. And then they had to scroll through and find one they wanted to answer and reply to one of their fellow classmates. So they had to do both. They had to pose a question and then answer a question. Um, and I felt that was a nice kind of template one to use for, you know, just about any um, uh, assignment you give. And I got, I think, better responses because when I have them just, okay, reply to a classmate, they tend to be you know, a little light on the reply um, without giving them, you know, okay, it has to be these many words or it has to, you know, address X, Y, and Z. I felt making them create a question that those, then their classmates responded to worked well. Yeah, I did that with my, uh, st my literature students for Socratic seminars when we moved online. I would have group leaders create the questions for the discussion. And that, you know, that was pretty successful in that setting. But yeah, the way you do it sounds actually a little more organized. I, I like that. I like that too, Stephanie. That, I think that guiding them on how to have those replies works well. I think modeling it for them also is important to show them the kinds of things you're looking for. I think that heads off at the past, the, uh, hey, what he said type mm -hmm. of response or the little arrow pointing up, you know, whatever that person said, I agree with. Um, if you chime in as well and respond to other responses on your discussion boards uh, that keeps discussions moving forward instead of just circling the drain. That is interesting. How often do you guys comment on these discussions that you have your students do? For me, it depends a lot on what the discussion is about. In some cases, uh, for example, the first discussion forum I usually um, post for the semester is just a get to know you icebreaker, you know, who are you? Uh, discussion. And this um, summer, it was really interesting because we started online and, and everybody didn't necessarily want to take an online class. And so I've always done that assignment, but it's, I've noticed it's changed since we're, we are staying at home. Um, I typically ask students, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. It might be your major or your field of study or, you know, your, your hobbies or interests. And I, I specify this is for the class. So just know that whatever you're sharing is in a discussion form for everybody to view. But um, this summer was really interesting because um, students were so much more supportive of each other. I mean, they're usually supportive of each other, but this time around, it was just really interesting how, um, how encouraging they were to one another. And especially I noticed with um, some of my non-traditional students who haven't been in school for a while, you could kind of sense the um, insecurity for lack of a better term um, when they were posting, well, you know, I haven't been in school for a while and, you know, I'm a mom or I'm a dad or, you know, I've, I've been in this career for 15 years and it's been a while. 
And those students, it was really nice because they were able to connect with each other. And a couple even said, oh, I thought I was the only person in here that was going to be in their 30s, you know. So that was a really nice experience. And they all sort of bonded over, yeah, we're stuck at home and quarantine and all of that. So I think that worked really well. But to your question about how often do you reply, in that type of discussion forum, I don't reply as much in the forum itself because I don't feel it's super necessary. But when it's something that is more academic or, you know, based on the curriculum, I will chime in, especially when I think I'm seeing something that would be a value to the class as a whole, as opposed to a value just for one student. If I can chime in, I think the idea of discussions is so extremely valuable for me in just trying to create a community in my math class, because it's a math class. <laughs> and, and um, and, and it's so hard to do online, uh, but if you, with that discussion opportunity, you can have, you can, as an instructor, you can, you can design it so that people are just simply sharing anything about themselves to find connections with other students, the kind of pets they have, what they like to do on weekends, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's really hard for me to try to keep up on, on them. So I really love the idea that you mentioned about having group leaders uh, controlling some of these discussions. But also what's been really valuable for me as well in mathematics is to try to get beyond the skills assessment and, and look, provide uh, data sets for people to talk about, you know, what patterns they see in data. And we compare across, you know, genders or, or racial groups, like, you know, what differences do we see statistically and what can we make of it? So more an emphasis on conceptual discussions that I, I run out of time with in the classroom. I will, um, to answer your question too earlier, Chris, I will jump in the discussion post to um, here and there, you know, especially if I have a, if I see a post that really sticks out that I kind of want to write comment on. Um, but then sometimes too, when I'm reading through the discussion post, it feels like a lot to respond to each person if there's an overall maybe question that the class has, or they're kind of, they're going off track, or they're not quite getting what I want them to get, right? Like, oh, they're missing this one point. I want to make sure they get that instead of jumping in the discussion post, because I always worry that they're not going to, they may look back at who responded to them so if you know maybe not necessarily back to the whole discussion thread if that assignment has passed um i would i will sometimes jump in the announcements and do a quick okay you know overall like oh and our discussion post number blah 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 everyone was saying this i just wanted to point out um you know x y and z so sometimes i will refer to the discussion posts in other either assignments and or announcements too yeah, I think I think it's good to to do some responding to individual um, uh, comments or discussion posts, but I you know I also think that it could get a little redundant and it could get totally unnecessary. It might even disrupt what is a really cool organic moment between students. I know Ria, we we talked in a previous meeting for one A one AS that um, you were doing mostly overall responses to um, discussions. Um, yeah, I do not um, participate in the discussion boards, and they know that. So um, I let them know at the beginning of the semester in the ways that I will be interacting with them, where they're going to see instructor-to-student um, communication, as opposed to strictly student-to-student. -student. And it it is in part, as to what Chris is saying, to honor that um, those those moments of students are leading the conversation um, and to kind of pull back so that they're not relying on my kudos or my thumbs up for what they're writing. And if I see something great, I will use it as a model in an announcement after having talked to the student first. Um, you know, and honestly, it's also just, it's something that I, I can't, you know, you have two, three sections of 1A, there's no way you're going to respond to everyone. And then you run into that issue of, well, if I respond to one, I can't not respond to everyone. And, um, and I don't like to be in that situation. So I also just send them comments on the side when I grade them um, individually, you know, through the assignment comment section. And, and that's how I will communicate with them, but never on the discussion boards. That's interesting, Ria, because I, I subscribe to an, a different theory. I will strategically respond here and there, um, and I'll try to spread out my responses so that it doesn't always look like I'm responding to the same people. But they know that I'm there. They know that I'm reading. 
Uh, they know that I'm keeping up and that I'm seeing whether they are posting or not posting. But also that I'm looking for quality and they know that. And I feel like it's important to, at least for my classes anyway, I feel like it's important to advance the discussion and push people in, in, in maybe uncomfortable ways sometimes. And, you know, whether we acknowledge them on the side or we acknowledge their comments in the discussion thread, I think, at least for me, it's important to to keep that uh, touch point there, to keep that conversation moving and to make sure that they know that they're not just doing this in a vacuum to earn some point that I'm dangling in front of them. So Chris, how many on average um, discussion posts do you have maybe in a unit or a week? Last semester, when things got really crazy, I, I had already started at the beginning of the semester to do um, discussion posts and that didn't really change when we went all online. Um, what I ended up doing was having uh, one that was required and one that was optional. So they could, they were required to post, obviously I'm the required post, uh, but the optional one was based on a reading or a text or something that they could choose to read to help them write the essay that they were working on at the time or uh, if they weren't in interested in that source or they read it and they didn't like it or they weren't interested in talking about it, they didn't have to. Um, but I also incentivized doing that by offering, um, uh, you know, a few points that go in this bucket O points, essentially, that is a, is a way for them to earn uh, some credit. So I will say something like, responding to this one in this way can get you up to five uh, points. And of course, they read that as extra credit, even though it's not. It's built into the syllabus as, you know, a thing. It's, a, it's an existing thing already. But um, encouraging that kind of participation. I mean, most students contributed to most optional discussions most weeks. And that'd be, uh, so that's per week? Per week, yeah. That, that sounds like a great way to give students affirmations and to validate their, their, their presence. Just, just you, the teacher, coming in saying, hey, you know, great job on that or great point on this. You belong here, you know, so on, so on. Yeah, Art, I had a I had a quick question since you are, you know, teaching a different discipline. How what kind of grades do you assign to discussions? Is this something that ends up being a, a large factor? Or is it small? Is it optional? Yeah, well, I'm kind of embarrassed to say it's zero. <laughs> Uh, I guess I'm just new to this game. I'm trying, still trying to figure this thing out, and uh, I haven't created any space for it. And now, after hearing you guys, I'm, I really want to you know, hear from you all what, what you guys do. And I, I need to think about that. I don't know. So at this point, because I'm so new, I, I haven't. Oh, that's nothing to be embarrassed about. We're all learning how to make this work. Oh, yeah. So I can share what mine. Um, I usually do um, – I have my – assignments weighted and so discussion posts as a whole are about 10% of their overall grade and then I usually do a standard anywhere from 10 to 15 points per if it's a I don't require you to reply to a fellow classmates 10 points if I require them to reply it's 15 points and that extra five is if they reply and how well the reply is um, if it meets you know all the criteria so that's what I usually do for discussions that also brings up just the idea of do they is it part of the grade that they have to respond to other people because I always do you have to reply to two other people um, and then for the first one if someone gives sort of a very you know bland or super short not very detailed reply I'll say next time try to make this a more meaningful you know exercise and then after that I might lower their score uh, I won't give them a zero but I'll you know instead of getting 10 points, they'd get seven or six or something. You know, there was one point in the semester, like this this one exam that I have in statistics, which is notorious for hurting people's feelings. Um, it's, I think that's a great- That's my time. kind of test. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a great, I think, moment for like, I guess a big deep breath, or like simply a, a point for like, hey, let's just talk about how we're feeling at this point in the semester with what has transpired so far you know, what is left. So let's just talk about like, because I've come to the, to, to the point where I think the feelings in a course uh, matter a lot for student success. That's a good point too. Using discussion posts to address, right, the affective domain or, you know, students kind of, um, you know, mindsets when it comes to the class versus using discussion posts as to address students' affective domain and their mindset in the classroom versus using discussion posts for graded um, assignments, right, to test their knowledge or understanding of the topic. 
and I think there's a place for both. I, I, I do, I lean more toward it as a grade for, you know, um, uh, for, for, furthering the um, uh, understanding of the stuff. Um, and I probably don't do as much sort of check-ins and how you doing uh, as I ha- probably should. And at, well, as I'm thinking of including more with the fall semester and everything that's going on. Um, yeah. Well, I think too, a lot of it depends on what the purpose of the discussion is. And I, you know, there's a lot of different ways to use discussion forums for different purposes, whether it's um, checking in with students and seeing how they're doing or uh, having them post about their understanding of a concept or um, a piece of writing or, or something that we may be doing in English class. But it's also a great way to have students curate information. And um, that I think works really well because it gets students to, um, they want to reply to each other. And so it, it facilitates those replies a little bit um, better because it does devolve sometimes into the, that's right, I agree. And we've kind of all talked about having them pose a question to somebody to expand on the conversation. But um, I, in my English 1A class this summer, their, um, their research paper, I, I made their topics a little bit more narrow. And so I gave them questions and uh, to choose from. And then there were maybe eight or 10 questions to choose from. And then in their discussion forum post for that week, they were to identify the question that they were working with for their research. And there was a lot of overlap because a lot of the questions had to do with things like police reform and COVID-19 and things that are happening right now. But I really made the point in their post, they were to identify their question and some of the guiding questions that they were going to use to guide their research. And then um, if they had any sources in mind to include those. And what was wonderful was because there was overlap in their topics and everybody wasn't necessarily choosing a different topic, there was a lot more back and forth of, oh, I found this source, this might help you. Oh, that's great. I found this other source. And so it was a place for them to curate information. And I was really careful to say, look, that's, it's fine if you're using the same sources. Don't feel like you have to you know, protect it from other people using it or don't feel like you can't jump in and say, oh, that person had that post with that great source and I want to use it. Can I use that too? So um, it was a really neat way for them to um, collaborate in just an organic way. I, I was really pleased with it. I did almost the exact same thing, Mitzi, last semester. I had students curating uh, a source list, uh, essentially, and they would include the citation for the source, where they found it, a link to it, and also how it fit in with the, the thrust of their paper, how it fit in the argument, how they thought they were going to use it. And a lot of people, you know, used each other's sources and commented on how they thought it was useful, you know, uh, and gave them some pointers, too, for how they could make it more useful for their paper, for their argument they were trying to make. So, Right. And it can yeah. also be in a conversation about credibility of sources too, because that's right. where I would chime in. It was really nice just to kind of sit back and go, wow, this is amazing to watch. And it didn't come up in that particular discussion, but it could, where if somebody's using a source that is clearly not very credible, that's a, that's a teachable moment. And, you know, without being harsh about it to, come in and talk about the credibility and then others can see, oh yeah, that maybe isn't the best source. So, What's interesting too, is that this is sort of like adapting a standard assignment into a discussion because it's online. So what you were describing, uh, Mitzi and Chris is kind of like an annotated bibliography, right? Or part of one. Um, But this time it's, you know, it's in, you know, a public writing sphere instead of a private writing sphere. Um, which our students actually are more have more expertise in anyway because of the internet. So I think that there's there's a lot of value to that. And then there's sort of a natural incentive instead of you have to do this to get a grade, it's it's a little, you know, it's disentangled. It's doing this will help you later on get a bigger grade on something that you naturally f- find more value in. Um, so I think there's a lot of benefit to that. Um, and I know a lot of teachers also use discussions for peer review. Um, and I started doing something like that this semester where every, every time a rough draft is due, there's a discussion where people say something about their essay that they're proud of and something they want to help on. And they'll post, you know, oh, I'm proud of using quotes. Here's a quote I used and I think I did a great job. And then the other thing is like, oh, I'm worried about this part, this thing. And students will comment on it. And sometimes it's really helpful. Sometimes it's not, but they are interacting and people are getting to see um, 
the writing be created from a lot of different perspectives. Uh, and I find, I find that to be pretty good. Um, it's not traditional peer review. It has some of those elements, just like what you said is not exactly an annotated bibliography, but I think it's a good way to adapt some of these standard classroom practices to this new environment. And I think peer review works best when it's guided like that anyway, rather than uh, uh, just to, just a free for all. Students need to know what they're looking for. And last semester yeah. I had students putting up a portion of their paper that they felt was strong and a portion of their paper could be a few sentences or a, a couple of paragraphs even. A portion they thought was strong and a portion they thought was weak. And again, I offered some quote unquote extra credit, but not really extra credit points for commenting and I, I got to the point where I didn't really have to do that because by the end of the semester they were they were into it they wanted to see each other succeed so, so the like first time it was free team. next time you have to pay yes yeah. okay. <laughs> that's, that's long been my business model Basically, uh, first one's free high school, uh, basketball courts. that's what the yeah. drug dealer that's what the drug dealer in my neighborhood said <laughs> he was right too yeah, all those commercials that, that you know, I grew up thinking that people were just going to show up at my playground offering me free drugs. It never materialized. <laughs> that never happened for me. I don't know. Maybe I need to check my privilege, but that did not happen. <laughs> um, this is why I love, like, you know, talking to, uh, to English people. I mean, like, this idea of peer review, I mean, that just kind of like just clicked like a big light bulb in my head right now. It's really resonated because I want to go to this place where I'm going to have students in my statistics class do original research studies. And I've been kind of like just trying to like figure out how to make this happen. And so this is like a little puzzle peer review, having students share like what they want to study and how they're going to do it and having people giving it to their feedback that would really build, I think, um, excitement. Cool. Thank you guys. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, you know, there's, there's always a peer review comes with its thorns too. Um, because every now and, and, and then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think one thing that's good about the discussion forum is it feels informal. So they don't start putting on their grammar caps and stuff like that. So one of the things I always find in peer review is when students start trying to look at the details of the writing, they oftentimes don't have the expertise to actually um, be good critics. Um, but sometimes with big picture stuff, they can, they can be pretty effective, but I think just having them talk about it has value, even if they're not being directed to comment on each other's work or evaluate it, if they're just discussing it or expressing oh, it in okay. a new mode, like speaking, it just helps so much. Cause then sometimes they're, you know, we always call it talking it out. You know, sometimes they, then they realize what they really want to do because they had to go through the steps of turning it from an idea to a word. Okay. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. You you guys definitely might have slightly different experiences with peer review than I do too. You know, I'm not a I'm not a god when it comes to <laughs> to teaching. I'm, I'm I'm just a man. I'm mean. a god when it comes to other things. Great. But that, so that notion that notion of math and you know it, we think oh English and math are so different, but when we're teaching critical thinking, especially, and there's elements of composition too that that can be very precise and almost mathematical depending on how we look at it and and you know using a discussion forum also to have students discuss controversial issues controversial uh, pieces that we're reading um, I think is really valuable also because of just what you said Chris it it's the talking it out and talking through their perspective so I do that also at the end of the semester when we're working with some essays that offer opposing point of, points of view. And I give students several to read and then they, they can select which topic they want to post about and sort of express their opinion, but they also have to reference the text. So there's that referencing the text and then expressing their opinion. And then there's more back and forth. And because it's later in the semester, they've already interacted with each other several times. So they, um, they know each other enough and they've practiced um, participating in an academic discussion forum appropriately, which is generally not a big problem anyway. Um, but it's really interesting because they will, dis they're more read they're, they will more readily disagree with each other at that point in the semester, which I think is really important because then they can go back and say that it's, it's having the student check their opinion. Okay, well, 
yeah, that person did make a good point. What, how do I really feel about this issue? So there tends to be a lot of back and forth. And it is that talking through the idea and working out their reasoning, um, that metacognitive uh, skill, I think they really get to practice in a discussion forum like that. So it, it serves many purposes. You know, did you do the reading? Because you have to talk about the reading. Can you state your opinion and back it up with examples? And, but in, in a less formal setting. It kind of so, kind of an ersatz like uh, lab setting almost where they can try out new ideas in a sort of almost a judgment free zone. Um, if they can float some balloons, if those balloons don't float, then they won't use them in their papers. Uh, you know, in the, exactly. in the grand scheme of things, the discussion boards aren't worth that much um, in my classes. But, and, but of course, the essays are, but they can try things out there that they can see if, if those things work or not. They can talk them out with their classmates. And, yeah, one thing um, I think that will lead us nicely into our next uh, next discussion is, you know, is our discussion something that students are seeing in all their classes? Are they used to doing it? You know, hopefully by the end of our classes, if we show them, you know, what we're looking for, they'll become, you know, expert at that skill. But I think that, you know, something we want to consider is, is this a typical part of their education now that everything's online? Um, so really quick, I just want to run down. How many discussions do you guys have in a week for a summer course? If you're teaching in the summer, if you're not, just tell us for maybe an estimate for a full semester. I'll start. I'm the other Chris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Chris too. Uh, too. I will always be the other Chris. Um, I, I'm, I'm locked into this one mandatory, one optional per semester because last couple of semesters it seems to be working uh, per week sorry per week, uh, yeah. per week every semester I, I feel like that's my sweet spot for my students i'm doing about one a week in the summer there the first week there were two because i did a module zero one and then one that was more content based so um typically about once a week over the course of the semester in a 16-week semester i don't necessarily do one every week i like to break up things a little bit differently but we do quite a few over the course of the semester um just not necessarily every single week well, this is a judgment-free zone, right? Because <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I suck. <laughs> Usually, so I, I do a lot in, com in comparison. I do pretty much one for almost every reading we do. Sometimes I'll combine the readings and have like a discussion post question of, you know, how are these two read, how are these two sources in conversation with one another? So, I mean, right now I'm averaging, you know, maybe four or five a week for my summer course and, um, you know, two to three uh, normal um, but pretty much at least one for almost every reading um, or sometimes I again I can't combine a couple sources and have one discussion for that so I'm doing well, one I, per chapter oh. I'm sorry there yeah go ahead no that was it I'm doing one per chapter <laughs> so it's like 10 period that's where I'm at I'm beginning I do the opposite of Stephanie which is far less I have about five or six for the semester, that's not including the, the icebreakers uh, because I compress a lot more into the discussions where they have a choice of which articles they're going to write about. And then usually they have to respond to somebody else who wrote about an article that they didn't write about. So it covers everything that they've read. It's just, it will all be shoved into one discussion board, the three articles that they just had to do for that unit. So I, that's how I've been able to not have to have so many in a row. And then I, it gives them more time to write and res, to respond because they have to do multiple responses. So they have about a week to, to complete the whole thing. Well, that does make me feel better about not requiring them to respond every time because I don't usually because, you know, I'm giving a lot of discussion posts. So um, maybe one or so a week they'll have to actually respond to you and then I get, leave it optional for the other discussion posts. So those are just um, discussion posts uh, that ne don't necessarily have response. Yeah, so how, I guess my question, Stephanie, is then how do you, how do you justify that that's discussion if you will if they post, but they don't have to respond to each other? Good question. So I think of it more as they are individual assignments, but they're out there so that everyone can get the idea. It's sort of my equivalent to um, talking out and, you know, share, like doing the group, large group discussion that we do like in person, right? Where 
um, maybe we're not all responding to each other, but ideas are kind of being thrown at the wall and there are students that can kind of hear them. So my kind of in the back of my head is the students will go and look at the discussion board in a you know, ideal student world. Um, and even if they don't have to respond to their um, fellow classmates, they can see what other people's answers to these questions are. And it hopefully gives them ideas for their own um, critical thinking and, and um, you know, understanding of the text. So that's sort of my whether it's maybe idealistic to think that they go back. I do encourage them to go back. And I will sometimes, you know, again, in my announcements point out, oh, there's some good posts on the discussion board, X, Y, and Z. Make sure to remember this, this, and this. So even though I don't really, um, require them, there's I, those ideas are still sort of out there to help them in understanding the text. I have a question for the group. When you are um, setting up your discussion forums, do you adjust the settings so that students cannot see others posts before they post or do you let them review posts before they post or does it depend on the topic i don't i make them post before they see anyone else's and it's it's only because um i don't want them to be too influenced so it's not so much that there's a correct answer or anything like that i just don't want them to be too influenced uh by someone else before they can discuss it same. Yeah, same. I they have to post in order to see the other posts for the same reason as Chris, and I don't want to read the same post thirty times because that can happen as well. Right. Yes. I, I asked because um, I, I had an interesting experience when I was teaching high school using discussion forums. We were using Moodle, and it has a has, Moodle has a feature that Canvas does not have, which is unfortunate. Um, there's a few features, but one of the features that um, I was I would use a lot on Moodle is uh, they have a feature called report logs, and it's similar to our analytics where you can view um, see how many page views students have and that sort of thing. But on Moodle, it's really precise. So I could go in and I could see which posts a student was reading in a discussion forum. And it was really enlightening because I had a student one year in um, – I actually, this was actually later, I had her in an online class and I also had her in a face-to-face -face class. She was in online English and face-to-face -face and speech and um, very excellent student, um, but really wanted to make sure she was doing things correctly and was a little bit intense in that way. And so in her um, discussion forums, she would go through and read. She was such a lurker every time she would read <laughs> everybody's post. I mean, she'd click on 20 posts. And I mean, was she actually deeply reading them all? I don't know, but she was clicking on them all before she would post. And then her, her posts were always really, really thoughtful <clears throat> and lengthy. So it taught me a lot about the value of discussion forms. I, I do the same 90% of the time. Um, I'm, they can't see it until they, um, they post once in a while. If I have a question where I'm asking them to post something and you can't repeat something somebody else said, then I'll let them see it, you know, ahead of time. If there's a special kind of, you know, discussion post or if I'm going for something like that. Um, but usually I don't. And that's interesting, Mitzi, that, um, right, I like that too. And that's one of my hopes, again, that of leaving, of making a lot of these, what would maybe be journals or smaller closed assignments, making them open, even though they don't have to respond, that hopefully there are some lurkers that even after they post, they can kind of go back and like, you know, see what other people are saying about it. And of course, if there's a bunch that are maybe off topic, or they're not, they're missing the point, I can then, you know, intervene. Um, but yeah, that's, interesting it was it was fascinating I, I just say that because I do both I do some where they can't see the post before they post but there are certain topics like um, I periodically do an assignment where they have to find an image when we're when we're talking about analyzing images and, and reading the image um, and so they'll need to find an image to post to the discussion and so in that case I feel like again it's almost that curation of, of information that it's not as important if they um, if they see others post before they post. So in that case, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't restrict it in that way. But I just thought, that, I thought it was really fascinating that I had these students that were really lurking um, in that environment. And I would not have known that otherwise. So, so speaking about lurkers, <clears throat> I love the idea of like having a student's view. Um, I mean, 
to share before they can view other people's concepts. I'm thinking as a math uh, teacher that I can have people post maybe, uh, I don't know, solutions or something, and they wouldn't be able to like get any feedback on, uh, um, until they post it. So they can then at that point be compelled to like look at some other people's solutions for comparisons. So I didn't know you could do that. So I'm writing That's that down. That could be really interesting in terms of process for any discipline, right? So, and for math, you know, it's like with the student, if they got a different answer, they can look through the steps and see, oh, this person did this part this way and yeah, something yeah. like this, or they could provide, you know, if they're doing proofs or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, feedback's critical. Yeah. One thing oh. to keep in mind to think about, because you can um, allow students to edit their post after they've posted versus closing that and not letting them edit because depending on it, how you're using it in the math scenario, you may not, if the, they might go, oh, that person got this answer, I'm gonna go back and change mine. So, be, which, you know, that's something to be mindful of if they which if I would want that. Which, yeah, which I would encourage, you know, as formative assessment, yeah. Yeah, then make sure, you know, you click there, that they're able to edit. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah. Good stuff. So, and speaking of, of the student perspective, something I do want us to hear and respond to a little bit is just what some of my students said about, um, the con uh the discussions um i told them they it was okay if they wanted to say that our discussions were terrible but none of them commented on my discussions that i made them do specifically anyway which is kind of too bad it would have been great to have to have a couple caustic comments here but um let's see so i'm gonna play just a really short clip of some students telling us what they thought worked or worked well what they like about canvas discussions uh we'll talk about it and then we can hear some of the negative side too the best part about them is that I guess I think the biggest positive, if there is one, is that you can check and compare yourself to other students to kind of see where your own ideas like either line up or don't line up with the rest of the class and possibly get some new ideas um, from that comparison. I really like Canvas because it notifies me when there is a new comment for a discussion. This is a very helpful reminder and a way to check the discussions when I am waiting to reply to two other people to receive full credit for the assignment. Also, I find it really helpful to the students when sometimes the professor is able to make other people's posts visible prior to me posting my own discussion. Sometimes this is really helpful because I'm able to make sure I am on the right track in discussing what the professor is looking for. The pro of online is, but it's very flexible where you can um, do the work on your own time. The best part for me has definitely been being able to pick up my classmates' brains to get a perspective or a different angle of a particular subject that I hadn't seen before being engaged in the discussions. And it really helps to have many resources when coming together with essays and research papers. So that's some of the things they thought were were good about them. Um, I know we heard one student comment directly on that idea of seeing the the other posts before they put their own ideas out there. Um, so, I mean, I think we all know what we feel about that, but that was, that was one interesting point. And I think it goes along with what you were saying, Mitzi, about um, a student who might just be very, very uh, credulous, right? About making sure that, oh, I don't want to look, I don't want the instructor to somehow look at me as foolish or look at me as, you know, off topic. So I'm going to just be really, really strict with myself about checking first. Or my classmates. I mean, it is, they do have to put themselves out there in a discussion and that can be intimidating for students. So I, I understand that, that concern that they may have. I don't think it's not, it's not just about our approval. It's about approval of the classmates too. Definitely. But to counter that, I feel like putting students, you know, I agree with you that it's a very vulnerable setting and why I like to have them hide their posts is so that learning comes from taking risks and just going for it and not having that, you know, oh, is this what the teacher wants? Is this, look, what does it look like that my, my peers are doing? And so by blocking it, they're, they're really able to take that risk, which I think is so essential in, in, in digging deeper into something. I don't know if you, um, but that brings up a good point too, as far as editing, then do you allow them to edit or you think no for the edit, Maria? I actually never really thought about the editing. I do let them edit. Um, I that never really even crossed my mind. So that's new for me. But um, yeah, I, I I don't have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I fairly recently like was like, oh, I could make it so they didn't have to edit, and I tried it out, and 
Um, and I, I'm kind of, I'm, I don't know if I like it or dislike it yet, but um, one of the things I have noticed is students will like just put like a period um, and then that way they can see. So technically they posted and then they can see everybody's and then they'll like, like put another Ooh. ad to their thread so that they cheat the system. Cause yeah, that they is just, devious. And then they'll say something like, oops, sorry, that didn't go through. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and then they'll rewrite, you know, and then, the, cause I, I do allow like threaded replies or whatever, or they can like, you know, repost. So they can't actually go back and edit, but if they just post like a, a letter or, you know, something that looks like a mistake that they then are open to see everybody's response and then they like write their response. So I, I have never had a student know. do that before, but now I'm going to look out for it every time. I had one that was notorious. It was like, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one. It was like so obvious. It was on like a bunch. Like it just kept happening. You know, like for this one student, like every post that they made, it was like, oh, there's just like a one-letter post, and then their actual response, like 20 minutes later, right <laughs> after they had like opened it up to read. Yeah, you gotta I kind think... of respect the creativity and the the problem solving there, though. I, I I'm always <laughs> right? a fan of that. Yeah, should they get kicked out or should they get extra credit? I right. Mean, that's always yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> thing because. Uh, yeah, well, one thing, and, and the way I, I usually look at it is, um, yeah, it's definitely, you're putting yourself out there, whether you, you know, in any case, and, you know, students are feeling nervous, especially at the beginning of the semester, they haven't had these interactions yet. Um, and, you know, the the peers you don't know always, you know, inhabit your nightmares, right? They're, they're always going to be super critical. They're always smarter than you. They're better. But then once you do it. It's not as bad. I think a, a well-designed discussion won't lend itself to having a correct answer type response for the most part. Uh, there's probably definitely some exceptions to that. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> I mean, when, when you can work the system that well, it's like, yeah, you know what, maybe just, maybe you just don't even need college, you know, just, just be a professional, <laughs> just be a racketeer. I mean, that's, yeah. Be a grifter. Yeah. <laughs> And another technique to help students get more accustomed to writing in front of their peers is to use the group, the groups feature. So in one of my classes, I have the students start in small groups. And then as the semester progresses, I merge the groups into larger groups. And then at the end, by week 14, they're all in a class. So yes, the downside oh. is that they're not getting to read the 29 other posts in the class, but they have this core that they've started with that they you know, they can feel more confident with, okay, there's only four other people in my group reading this, not the entire class. That's a fascinating idea. Do you, do you have any particular methodology for creating that or, or uh, instructing that, that approach? Or is it sort of just the use the feature to create random groups, stuff like that? I believe strongly that uh, the universe takes care of it. And I, I don't randomize, but I just do it alphabetically. And mm -hmm. I just whatever, you know, I just divide by whatever number it is and I just go down the roster and that has worked every time that the students find kindred spirits in their groups and it's a, it's it's actually been quite amazing, um, the result of that. So it's not totally random, but just I just go right down the roster and that's how I keep it. And then I just merge them, groups A and B, and then groups C and D, and then I merge all groups A through D. And then are they just so are they posting to a discussion board and only they can see their own groups? Right. So this is especially helpful with peer review uh, because if they are sharing their work, then they don't have to tag a person. And then it gets a little messy, I think, when you tag someone. Okay, I'm going to review this person. So if there's a group of five, then they all have to post their assignment and then the other people in the group are responsible but canvas disperses everyone into these groups on its own so they will only see the five people that's in i don't know i have my name as fruits right now so in group honeydew those five <laughs> students the honeydews can only see what the honeydews are doing and they can't see anything else now, are you careful to leave out the names of fruits and vegetables that have become associated with sort of, you know, unsavory things over, you know, uh, emojis and what have you? No eggplant, no group eggplant, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, yeah oh, no, it, it's, it's really, it actually, it really opened up. It was difficult. I mean, I went, I was like, do I want to do rainbow colors? Do I want to do fast foods? So I ended up with precious stones and, um, and, and fruits, summer fruits. 
Very nice. Okay. I'm sure I'm offending someone in one of those. I, I'm sure. I'm sure I've. I, I, there's some meme out there or some joke that a hashtag that I don't know what that means, and you know. But that's kind of the beauty of getting no, anti-honeydew no extremists who hate. <laughs> yeah, right. I know this will come back to to haunt me at some later later time. Yeah. I'm confident. Yeah. So. Yeah. QAnon warned us about the the Marxist professors pushing honeydews on everybody. Yeah. <laughs> they were right. <laughs> Um, so why don't we go ahead and just hear a little bit of the negative side from a student perspective, um, and we can, you know, talk about that a little bit. So let me cue this up. The worst part is that most people just take it as an opportunity to sort of, you know, turn their brain off for a little bit, and it becomes sort of an echo chamber of just people sort of mindlessly agreeing with each other over and over. And I think the problem is that the solution lies, I mean, the solution definitely lies somewhere in the middle between making them too simple and making them too complicated, because sometimes teachers overcompensate for the you know the simplicity of it and make them more complicated and more in depth and require more and more and more and then it becomes a miniature essay which isn't a discussion either and isn't it doesn't feel natural in a discussion board so at that point that feels like a burden right if it's too simple it kind of feels like a burden and if it's too much it sort of feels like a burden either way it's not uh, a helpful discussion the one downside of canvas discussion is when students are taking multiple classes at a time doing four discussions per class could add up to 12 to 16 discussions per week and it starts to become too much. Students would rather focus on the actual assignment than a discussion to prove they are present. And also, I personally do not feel like I'm benefiting from it since I really don't read everyone's post as I'm focused on completing the assignment. Also, a big thing is that students really do not have the chance to get ahead in a discussion when students are stuck waiting to reply to two other students because typically most students wait till the day the discussion is due to post theirs. This is something that I find really frustrating and should not be required to receive credit. Also, I personally have not interacted with my classmates outside the discussion. Thus, I feel like I'm not really getting the group discussion you typically get in the classroom or the chance to find classmates to help me. Not many students initiate any discussions freely in a way like you would do in a live classroom. And I think this is the downfall of online class. We see a lot of people commenting on assignments, but there's really no back and forth section. The worst part definitely is having peers that aren't as engaged as some of us. Uh, what I mean is sometimes there'll be four or five out of the 20 students who take their time and they give thought out, well thought out responses. And it really helps to become engaged in those discussions versus the peers who give one to two broad and general statements that don't really pique an interest as far as having me want to respond to them. Yeah, so those are just some of the things that uh, these students thought were the lower points or the worst parts of Canvas discussions. Yeah, I have a couple responses. I thought those were great and really insightful. And two things that I heard, the first student who said it's about kind of striking a, a balance of not where it seems either pointless or too much. And I liked how he said it in some cases it turns into an echo chamber and everyone just agreeing, agreeing, agreeing. I think this really gets back to um, making sure two things are established regarding discussion boards. And one of them was what Chris Glover had said earlier about modeling. So every time there's a discussion post, I mean, I guess in some cases that would be difficult if you're doing 13, 14 discussion boards, but unless you have a typed out model of what that looks like, and then you have a rubric and in the rubric or a set of requirements that says, okay, you can't just simply agree, disagree, you must build, ask a question, and you must incorporate evidence of something that you've read that's relevant to this discussion post. So just instructors can tweak their assignments so we don't lead our students accidentally into the echo chamber. And then the, the second student who said it's really frustrating having to wait for students to post on the last day and then that really slows down people that want to work ahead and that that's easily remedied by making um deadline mix uh, i'm sorry multiple deadlines so original post has to be done by wednesday and your response posts can be done by friday or whatever it is you want to do so i'm just thinking of some quick fixes if instructors have probably thought oh i wonder if that's been happening in my class and maybe they could adjust their assignment logistics a little bit better yeah, I think that definitely works. 
to avoid that problem. I, I do like a model response for all my um, discussions and that's worked out pretty well. Um, and usually my model responses, I'll choose, I won't do it close enough to the real thing where they can just sort of mimic my phrasing and stuff. Cause I'll usually, my examples would be something really stupid. Like I'll make up an article called pizza is the enemy or something like that. Um, but having that model there sort of gets around the issue of they don't know what I'm looking for when they first go to post because I kind of showed them already. Yeah, I have a base template model. Um, I don't do an individual one for each discussion post, but in the beginning, in the first you know week of class, in addition to the syllabus, I have a page that they click on. I say, here's an example of a good discussion post and a weak one. Here's one that would pass and here's one that wouldn't and here's why. So uh, they have in all my... Um, discussion posts have a base right model that they work off of you know and if i deviate from that or if i tweak it a little i let them know in the in the um instructions for that particular uh right discussion post um but yeah similar um to what ria was saying the easily remedied i always do if they have to reply it's always a day or two after the deadline for the response it's also important to show students both explicitly and implicitly that a multiplicity of viewpoints is welcome that everybody's opinions will be valued i mean obviously within certain constraints but like you know my first three essays last semester dealt with issues of race and gender and um class and um you know differing viewpoints were definitely uh needed in order for some people to understand nuances and so um you know, if, if you're showing them that what you want is differences of opinion and then that moves things forward, um, then they're, I think, less likely to just get into that echo chamber and tell you what, you, what, what they think you want to hear because 17 other people have already said that. Yeah, and I remembered now. <laughs> um, going off that, uh, Chris, um, I do make it a very a point to tell them that everything they write in their discussion post, they can literally cut and paste into their final essay if they think it works, and you know, or use that as rough. So I always consider all these discussion posts as a form of drafting for their final um, bigger assignments. Because that one student mentioned, it felt like they could just spend spend the time working on an assignment rather than doing these discussion mm -hmm. posts. So that's something to to maybe point out is you know there's a purpose to this and they can use it. This, this idea of multiplicity of <clears throat> potential answers is really exciting. I'm thinking now about the um, idea of giving like just a, a mountain of, of data. I'm thinking right now of like, oh, um, serial uh, nutritional information, which could be like, you know, a large, very large data set. And maybe comparing, you know, like versus, you know, adult cereal versus children's cereal and looking at comparing also like where these cereals are placed on the aisle, whether it's the low shelf, medium shelf or the high shelf and give students the opportunity to like answer like this very broad question. Like, do you think uh, certain cereals are targeted for children and, you know, or, and, and, or is it unhealthy for children? So they have a variety of people coming in at, from different angles, looking at different nutritional uh, facts to make their, their conclusions. So this is exciting. I like this, the, incorporating the discussion post to, to, for students to kind of uh, present a variety of different uh, arguments. Yeah, I think I think it's it's something that can be done in all disciplines just because, you know, argument is the basic way that all humans communicate. And we're trying to teach students that when you argue, you come from a place of information rather than lack of information. And you come from a place of uh, maybe not proof, but evidence rather than lack of evidence. So I think anything that involves taking evidence and really proving that Frankenberry, you know, is innocent <laughs> of all these charges, these things that people say he's up to, you know. I don't really Frank think that still exist. I hope so. <laughs> Me too. You know, I, I hope that there's a place for Frankenberry in 2020. Otherwise, you know, cancel culture has just gotten out of control. Um, well, I, I just wanted to chime in that I thought that, oh, thank you for curating those, uh, those com the student comments. I thought those were really interesting and, and um, as Rhea said, really insightful. And to me in the, in the comments about the, the challenges that students face with discussions, really for me the takeaway is that we just need to be really um, precise and um, intentional about how we are using discussions and what our purpose is and conveying that to students. And I, I did think it was interesting. I was wondering about 
how, um, how many discussions they have to do for other classes since we've moved online. You know, I've, I've done discussions for years and years and years, but I realized that that wasn't the case in all classes, but it sure sounds like most classes now are using discussions in some way or another. So that was interesting feedback also. Yeah, most of my students who who commented on whether or not they do discussions in other classes said that they do, and in some classes they do quite a lot. Uh, I had a few students say that English was the only class where they had discussions. So I, I, I got kind of a, you know, I'm not sure exactly where that lands on the barometer, um, but it's it's interesting to think and i think that you know moving forward you know one of the big things and i agree is an expert in this so correct me if i'm wrong but one of the big things when it comes to keeping um online courses valid and keeping them uh you know what's the word translatable when they go to another college they do it you know what's that um transferable transfer transferable. well transferable is what i mean there's there's a fancier word that i'd love to use but i can't think of it um super transferable yeah super transferable <laughs> uh so but keeping it transferable keeping it uh you know and and sticking with accreditation or not getting audited is making sure we have regular effective contact and substantive and one the main way that the state tells us to do that is to in is to have discussions that we're involved in now involved you know of course is not a precise term so it could mean a lot of things but you know discussions are one of the way one of those boxes we can start checking off when we're going to be held more accountable for the efficacy of our online teaching you know discussions are going to be one of the ways we can show that we are actually adapting you know high impact face-to-face -face practices into our now online environment. That, that is true, Chris. It's one of the top uh, best practices of teaching and learning online is, is developing student community. And a big way that that is done is through interaction and the feature we have on Canvas is through discussion. So I think you're, you're right there and just, Basing it on, on the, the research that's out there of, of what makes a course so effective, it, it really is maintaining a, a real deep sense of community throughout the semester. Yeah, one of the findings of the survey that, they're, uh, that institutional research is doing and is going to publish in uh, August, I think, that one of their biggest findings was that students basically said the biggest thing they wanted more of is interaction, direct interaction with their instructor. Um, in their online courses. And, you know, this is one way to do that without necessarily having to go to each student and sending them emails that, you know, you might get one or two things at a time. You might repeat yourself a whole lot. But having the discussion gives you the opportunity to maybe respond to one or two students, to respond to every student if you feel like you need to, or to do a more generalized response in an announcement, which is something I do a lot, is, you know, look at the discussion and say, okay, I'm going to pick up four points here and do a really quick video announcement where I just record myself saying, hey, point one is this, point two is that, blah, blah, blah. And that gets a pretty good response from my class. I think we have one big thing left to do, which is, you know, we're trying to utilize everything Canvas has to offer, but there are some options outside of Canvas that could help facilitate uh, meaningful discussion. Art, can you tell us a little bit about Jamboard? So, yeah, Jamboard. Um, it's, it's a Google um, option. Uh, if you go to Google Drive and uh, you create a new, um, you have the option of creating a new slide or a new spreadsheet. And down below, we have other options and, and Jamboard is one of them. And this is great for, um, it's kind of like what I would do in class where I would have everybody go up to the boards because we have these surround whiteboards and everybody can do like their solutions up there. And at a glance, I can look around and just kind of quickly, in a matter of moments to see, you know, who's um, uh, getting it and, and who, uh, you know, has fallen into a trap or something. And so basically what this is, is a, a huge white poster board and you can write post-it notes. Here we have an example where one of my professional development activities, we have a quote and I have uh, people read the quote and, and share their reactions on post-its. Um, and so it, it's, 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 it's great to have people come together, share ideas and you have multiple frames. These are each page is called a frame. And so uh, what you could do is you could like break up the class into uh, uh, breakout groups and just kind of go one quote at a time, 10 minutes each, for example. So it's kind of like a, a rotating um, um, discussion. 
I suppose, from code to code. As a math teacher, I like the opportunity of having students. I can post a question up here and have students, you know, with uh, with this pen, this writing option, uh, you know, do a solution, you know, or share conceptual understandings of a certain uh, problem. And I suppose in English, you guys really deal more with ideas. So that's the idea of, of, of sharing ideas, comparing ideas, whereas in math, we're sharing solutions of, and skills, so on, so on. So it's so simple, you just kind of just, you can add a post-its notes and this is my idea for the day and, and save it and post it and, 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 and there we go. And um, yeah, it's, it's not much to it. And I love, I love the simplicity and you have a little laser beam you can point, hey, let's take a look at this point over here and so on and so on. So it's a great little tool. Yeah, something I really like about this from a, if I was a student especially, is that in a discussion, everything is sort of ordered in a very particular way and it's impossible to zoom out and see sort of an organizational principle or to start seeing the big picture. But this sort of allows you to, you know, I, I guess it's called like when you study education manipulatives or, or whatever, but it's sort of a multimodal approach in a 2D environment. Um, but it really lets them play around with space as w space and color and movement in a way that, you know, the regular discussion just doesn't allow them to do. Now, do you use this um, uh, for asynchronous course or a synchronous course or both? Uh, synchronous courses, that's really what I like to teach. That's a great tool. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm gonna have to try that out, really neat. Yeah, it's nice. The simplicity is, is the best part, There's no fancy, Nothing fancy. Yeah. And I think in an asynchronous course, you can make this work as well. You know, someone would just show up, look at what's on the board, add their thoughts, leave, and then maybe come back later. Similar to what people already do in discussions. So I, I think it really could be adapted pretty easily. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And I could see the value of both doing this and, and mm -hmm. using discussions in Canvas. I, I think that would be nice to kind of break things up a little bit and offer some different... Um, options that's really interesting and, visually and having maybe for groups right having mm -hmm. a group each group have their own jamboard and then they do this kind of collaboration yeah the math teachers also love having this grid as a background you can graph stuff oh heck yeah mm. yeah i'll make my students find why all right <laughs> <laughs> oh let me um, stop sharing <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think, you know, I think that's one of the things we're going to start seeing, especially in the fall, is we're going to start adapting more and more different options. We're going to start using more and more different tools because um, Canvas is good. But, you know, in the classroom, it's not like we use exactly two different methods every single day in class and then do the whole semester like that. So it's, it's good that these things exist. And it's good that um, it's really good to see someone play with it, actually, is my main thing is that usually I hear someone say, Oh, try this. It's awesome. But unless I see a really quick thing, like art just did, you know, mm -hmm. it's hard to really, it's hard to get your imagination around the concept and start imagining what's possible with it. It can, be, kind of, it can also be kind of a uh, um, scary to try a new tool without knowing how to like incorporate this, but with something as simple as this, it's like, there's not much to learn. Sure. It's, it's literally post-its, different colors, you can write on there using maybe a stylus if you have access to that or your mouse if you're really good at it or you can type <laughs> stuff and put it up there too. So it's, you know, it's, it's like a blank page that you can fill with content that is visually interesting but also, you know, could have numbers, words, all that stuff. Yeah. Nice. I just wanted to add too that I know that we're dealing with unusual circumstances in education and, and everything else right now. And so um, some of these, these practices and tools that we're using really still can translate to our face-to-face -face classes once we're able to be back in the classroom. And I definitely see value in discussion forums or Jamboard, um, even when we're, we're teaching face-to-face -face classes. They just get at some different information that maybe doesn't always come out in a, in a classroom discussion too. So I know a lot of us are trying to kind of replicate what happens in the classroom discussion um, in a face-to-face -face class in this digital environment. Um, and we, I think, recognize that it's not the same and it's not going to be exactly the same. There are, it's always going to be a little bit different, but it also works the other way. Once we're back in class, you know, we can continue doing discussion posts and forums and um, it, it, will, it will create different discussions than we would have in a live class. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the center of the class is no longer the classroom. And, right. you know, uh, and, and so it's really forced a lot of math instructors and my colleagues to like really think multidimensionally and look for other opportunities outside of the classroom to stimulate learning so that they can actually create more space within the classroom to go beyond the skill set that we too often focus. And so we can kind of get beyond, kind of like flipping a classroom where um, we can in the class spend time on just practicing problems instead of introducing and lecturing problems. Right. Well, and I think it gives an opportunity for, for more students to participate in some cases. Yeah. I, um, the, the very first online um, assignment I ever gave was a discussion forum um, years ago. You know, I think I said earlier, it was uh, before we were together recording, um, 2008 or 2009, I did a discussion forum when I was teaching AP English in a high school, and I had no idea what I was doing. And so I just wanted to try it. And I said, okay, um, post, you know, what book do you think should be read in high school? And I said, not taught, but what do you think high school students should read and justify it? And I had no idea what, what responses I was going to get. And it was everything from Dr. Seuss, because there was these great messages to, you know, classic literature and everybody should read Brave New World and everybody should read 1984. And, and then um, whatever the pop, pop literature teen YA reading at the time was. And then I had a student, um, this devout communist in my class, who said everybody should read the Communist Manifesto. And one of my Vietnamese students replied in a very lengthy way about communism. And it was the most amazing discussion. And it is something that never would have happened in class. And I've just never forgotten that. That I, I just, the light bulb went off and I thought, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing. And I know it has nothing to do with AP curriculum, that particular topic, but it just really opened my mind up to the potential we're using discussions for students, even with, uh, even in a traditional class. It was just amazing. So. Awesome. I think that's actually a really good way to end it. It kind of talks about the bigger picture, what, what mm -hmm. discussions do and you know, what, where we might be able to go from here. Stay around the virtual water cooler, you filthy animals. <laughs> <laughs>